Many listeners to Theology Nara have questions about faith, sexuality, and gender. I know because at least half of the questions that you send in to me to answer on the show have to do with this complex topic. I want to let you know about a resource that I've created or helped create to guide you through this conversation. It's called Grace Truth 1.0, five conversations every thoughtful Christian should have about faith, sexuality, and gender. And it's only available on our website, centerforfaith.com. That's centerforfaith.com. Grace Truth 1.0 is a book, but it's more than a book. It's a small group study, but it's more than a small group study. I like to think of it as a small group learning experience. The book portion of this learning experience has five short chapters, or as I call them, conversations, about various topics related to faith, sexuality, and gender. And then at the the end of each conversation, there's a bunch of questions that you or your group can go through together. Now, I've been in education long enough to know that everyone's learning style is different. This is why we created a a series of high-quality educational videos that correspond to each of the five conversations in Grace Truth 1.0. Plus, if you want to go deeper into the conversation, we've also created optional podcasts and papers that allow you to go deeper into certain areas that are only briefly covered in Grace Truth 1.0. I am so excited about this resource and hope that you'll check it out and consider taking a group of people through it. Again, to purchase Grace Truth 1.0, you can go to our website, centerforfaith.com, and just click on the resource link. That's centerforfaith.com forward slash resources. Now, without further ado, welcome to Theology in the Rock. of Theology to Raw. I'm here with my friend David Bennett, like a lot of people in the world today. Um, I have never met David face-to-face in person, like tangibly, but we've talked like this a few times, and I have grown to be a massive fan of David Bennett, and when you listen to this interview, you will see why. So, David, thanks so much for being on the show. He is um, Skyping in, or I guess Zooming in from... Uh, well, why don't you start? We're... we're where are you right now? And then I will ask you a question about kind of your background. We'll go from there. Well, Preston, I just want to uh, return the compliment. Uh, I'm currently in St. Andrews, Scotland, where I'm studying theology. It's been amazing under N.T. Wright. Um, and yeah, it's just been an incredible place for me. I'm just soaking up all the theology here and you know, wow. doing a student thing. Um, but yeah, so... Why don't you pick like a, a, a more well-known or better scholar to study that's in? That's right, you know. <laughs> I'm also here with Alan Torrance uh, oh. and, and other people. It's it's actually an incredible environment. Like, we've been super blessed. And I've been thinking it through, through a lot of things to do with desire, same-sex desire, and um, looking through like, you know, a lot of theological work. Yeah. So... I'm just about to finish the manuscript for War of Loves as well, my book that's coming out. So I'm super excited. That's going to happen today. So it's a special day. I get to speak speak to you, Preston, and (laughs) the brink of handing it in. So it's great. I love that you're studying under N.T. Wright and you're excited to talk to me. (laughs) 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 Take me home, Lord. That's just... uh, uh, But you know, it's funny is I've hung out with him Mm. once we had lunch together when I was passing through and he is the most down to earth, real humble. Like he, it's almost like he doesn't know who he is. 
And he's so I mean, much fun, like, yeah. in seminars, everything. Like, he'll just tell <laughs> us what he really thinks, and it's great. <laughs> That's awesome. So, That's so yeah. cool. David, let, let's go back. Let, let's go back, because you have, I mean, an amazing testimony. So uh, let's go back. Pre-Christ, who were you uh, pre-Christ, and uh, what has God been doing in your life since then? So before I became a Christian, I was what you could term a kind of nightmarish queer activist that would kind of stamp down the halls of like events uh, at university. I was uh, organizing gay marriage march events, you know, shouting shame at all the activists. Uh, I was part of, you know, political factions. And just my whole life was really centered around my identity as a gay man and wanting to have the rights that I saw were mine and that were part of my human dignity. And so for me, I saw Christianity very much as something in the way of progress. And I imbibed this kind of worldview that was around me, that romantic love was the ultimate form of transcendence. Hmm. And so when I was 14 years of age, I actually came out um, in a Christian Anglican school in Sydney, Australia, where I'm from. And, uh, you know, it was quite a, conservative environment uh and there wasn't much spiritual life Mm -hmm. it was very much you know kind of jesus picture book jesus and i just couldn't relate because i felt like as when i opened the bible and read passages about homosexuality i was disqualified Mm. from from that relationship with god and so i went on a spiritual quest at the age of 14 i ended up in a park when i was 15 with my boyfriend um you can read about this in the war of loves and uh there was a man who drove up i was kissing my boyfriend he'd given me a an amber cross as a present and he was russian orthodox Hmm. and this man had driven up on a motorbike and picked up a stone and thrown it against my back as i was kissing my boyfriend and i just remember saying to myself like i will dedicate my whole life to destroying that kind of hatred like i will not allow that to exist. I will give everything to stop that. And I, it was so ironic that I was being given a cross, you know, like at that age, I didn't understand that actually, I think that this was God's symbol to me, that he loved me and that Jesus died on the cross for me and that he identified with that homophobia that I experienced. And so I couldn't see it though at that age. I thought Mm. this cross was a symbol of my oppression and I came to realize it was actually a symbol of my acceptance into the kingdom of God. But that was a long journey. When you got hit with that that guy threw that rock at you, I mean, that that type of posture, did you just associate that with Christianity? Like whether he was a Christian or not, like whatever Christianity is, whatever that guy is that throws rocks, like they're kind of one and the same. It's just bigotry. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, I heard my Christian uncles saying homophobic comments when I was 14. Um, You know, I heard homophobic comments everywhere, really, in the Christian Mm -hmm. school I was up growing up in and so i mean i don't want to be like the big victim but it's hard like it is a real form of suffering yeah and i think there's not a lot of resources when you're that age to kind of cope with it and so you know with age i've been able to find and in the kingdom of god i've been able to find that but you know i didn't have that when i was 15 you know and and that's why i'm writing this book because i want other people to be able to have that resource so so the book the book war of loves put out by Mm -hmm. zonervan right 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's the, so that's the manuscript you're turning in today. Um, is there a date when it's going to come out? Is this like next fall or summer? Yeah, or? so it should be late October to yeah this year. So I'm super excited. Um, one other part of my story I'd love yeah. to share with you, Preston, yeah. is when uh, I was 19 years of age. So you know, in full flight, uh, in my my search to try and find love, trying to find romantic love, had a lot of like, I was a serial monogamist. I ended up Christmas lunch, 2008, at uh, the family lunch table with my uncle. And we had a debate um, about the existence of God. Anyway, I was furious with him. I stormed out of the room and he went away after that and was in the car with my aunt and told her that he saw the Holy spirit over me and that, that I would be saved in three months' time. <laughs> so he actually like, prophesied my salvation. Like, yeah. yeah, so I have that kind of heritage in my family. And I thought they were crazy fundamentalists yeah. at that time. So then three months later, I'm in a pub in central Sydney. And I meet a filmmaker who uh, was an alumna of my university. And her film had made, made into the largest short film competition in the world. And I was a student journalist and I wanted to interview her. So I asked her when I saw her in this pub, uh, how did you make this film? How did you get into the largest film competition in the world? Wow. You know, and you've just hit your 20s. This is incredible. And, you know, for me, she was a symbol of the height of success in the arts, journalism, communications world, which I was in. And so... Um, she said to me, well, do you want the real answer? And she answered, I said, what's the real answer? And she said, well, it was God, to which my face kind of scrunched up straight away. You know, it was like, oh, you know, Christians. Um, <laughs> these vile creatures, you know. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and she said, well, well, do you think there's a God? And I said, well, I certainly think there's something out there, but not organized religion, certainly not Christianity. I mean, I'm gay and honey, don't even try. And <laughs> to which she responded, have you experienced the love of God? And I was just disarmed by this question. It's like, it just stopped me in my tracks. And I said, what do you mean experience the love of God? And she said, well, if you haven't experienced the love of God, you, you don't know who you are. You don't know like anything. You have to experience his love. Like it changes you. And she said, you know, and I was Mr. Spiritual. I saw it in everything, Buddhism, um, you know, Wicca and neo-paganism, all sorts of different places. And um, she said, you know, I don't usually do this, but my gosh, I really feel the presence of God right now and I have to pray for you. Like, I really have to pray for you. Wow, you know. And I'm sitting there with this, I'm going, I need to get away from this fundamentalist, like, <laughs> extremist, you know. Um, and another voice in my head was saying, no, this is real. You need to be open to this. You're a good agnostic. You know, you should be open to prayer. You just don't know if God exists. So I said, well, look, you can pray for me, but I don't think anything's going to happen. So she prayed for me and it was just incredible, Preston. Like this presence came on top of my head and it was like a vial of oil being poured over my head. Um, and it just went all the way through my body. And I was like, something in me was like, this is what I've been searching for my whole life. Mm. This, this is it. And it my life upside down. I remember saying to myself, I know God's real. And then I heard this voice, this voice say, do you want me? And the first question in John's gospel is, what do you want? That's the first question Jesus asks. 
And so, um, it, again, this voice three, three times and I said, yes. And then wow. God just broke into my life. And he said, do you, you know, will you accept my son Jesus as your Lord and savior? Um, and I just said, yes, it just like came out of my, <laughs> my mouth, you know, this love that I never experienced and I didn't know. And I was kind of like, Oh no, it's the Christian God. You know? <laughs> and I still had the sexuality question in my mind when I was experiencing this, but I was like, this is real. And that changes everything. Wow. And I think that, you know, if we haven't found a form of transcendence, that's higher than sexuality. Why would you give it up? Right. I mean, it's just crazy, yeah. you know, like, and it's because I found a higher love, a higher transcendence, yeah. this presence of God that was imminent and real and with me, not just like out there as a concept that I got that I mined from a, a Bible, mm-hmm. but a real living God who breathed into me and is living and that mm-hmm. can provide intimacy for me. And that so, changes everything. You so know? would you say, I mean, uh, you know, Augustine and other Christian thinkers have connected our, our sexual desires with our desire for God. Uh, there's that saying it's, it's credited to Chesterton, although it wasn't him that said it, but like, you know, every man that rings the bell at a brothel is searching for God. And, um, there's a yeah. Catholic writer, Chris West, Chris West, who's, who makes a big deal out of our sexual desires or somehow connects yes. our desire of the body. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So would yeah, you, yeah. I mean, ex- both experientially and you're also an academic and, Theologically, mm-hmm. would you like say absolutely that's been true of your life and also, I guess, in, in the Bible? <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting because I'm about to embark on a doctoral degree, hopefully at the University of Oxford. Um, I've just accepted there. And I think that the real area, like we had a revelation, we had theologies of uh, revelation with Karl Barth and then theologies of hope with like Jürgen Moltmann and others. And now we're looking at the theologies of desire. Hmm. And God, I believe, by his spirit is pulling forth a deeper well of theology, a deeper well of Christian tradition to look at what human desire means. Um, and so that's really the, what the question that I'm asking at St. Andrews. Wow. It's funny you asked yeah. that. <laughs> wow. But, yeah, but I, I really think that um, desire is, you know, we have to come back as the church to this idea of asceticism. Mm-hmm. And not a pagan asceticism where you're like denying yourself to look morally superior or yeah. to improve yourself, um, like a kind of semi-Pelagian like impulse. Yeah. But the when desire responds to grace, it's transformed. Wow. And so when I experienced the grace of God, my desires started to be transformed. That didn't mean I stopped being same-sex attracted or gay. It didn't mean but the meaning of those desires changed and the way that the significance they had for me in my relationship with God were totally different. And suddenly, like, I think I discovered the glory and beauty of worshiping God. And for me, one of my favorite passages of scripture is the woman with the alabaster box. Mm. I mean, when she just breaks that over Jesus's feet, like I can't think of anything greater in my life to do. And for me, I see my desires and celibacy in this whole journey as me breaking that alabaster box over Jesus's feet and saying, you know what? I'm going to trust you. I don't understand why I'm gay. Science can't tell me ultimately and conclusively scripture tells me a bit, but not enough to live on. <laughs> and, you know, and like, you know, experiences taught me that God's real 
and that he loves me. And that all together is enough to just trust him, even though I, I can't see and I don't always understand why. Mm. And, you know, living in a society that just does not understand me, you know, I feel like an alien sometimes, you know, mm. I'm at parties and people are like, so who have you dated? <laughs> <It's> like, well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> the father. <laughs> um, like, I mean, I think I have to, take that desire for romance and, and, and yeah, reappropriate it to God. Otherwise it, it is a miserable existence, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I do think there's a divine romance and we have to be careful. You know, God is, we're not talking about a literal sexual desire for God, but we're talking about a desire um, that sex was created to reflect. Oh, that's that good. I, that's a good distinction. Yeah. 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 It's not, it's and, not, it's not a one-to-one correlation, but they're sort of springing from the same law yeah. in our hearts. Right. Yeah, and, and the other thing I'd say, Preston, is how under we have underestimated friendship. Yeah. I mean, I did. Even four or five years into my Christian walk, I was like, friendship, whatever. Like, yeah. you know, like people are fickle, like unless there's a sexual drive and some kind of biological, you know, bringing together of bodies, like people are never going to commit to each other in deep ways. But I realized that in the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit, there is actually a spirit to spirit connection. And we see that with David and Jonathan and Jesus and John and, you know, covenant love connection that can provide an intimacy that's actually greater than that mm-hmm. um, of, of sexual or romantic desire. And that, that like breaks out categories. It's, it's like, so countercultural. Not <laughs> <laughs> just I mean, countercultural. It's like, it's just otherworldly, which it, which it is. I mean, it is. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's a heavenly love. It, and it, it makes me like, I've talked, it was so funny. Like I was sitting down with some of my colleagues in ministry and we were talking about this and, and they were like, yeah, I just find it. I just struggle as a married heterosexual man to like believe in that. <laughs> yeah. oh, and yeah. I was yeah. like, wow. You know, and I think we have a crisis of faith in the church in terms of, is this really real? Right. And so, you know, I had mul- I've had multiple friendships, which I talk about in my book, mm. where I experienced this heavenly love mm-hmm. and it freaked me mm-hmm. out. <laughs> so I didn't have, like, yeah. I was like, is this gay? Is this, you know, but no, it right. was just friendship and closeness and affection that came from yeah. God and the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, I totally think desire is where it's yeah. at theologically at the moment and where God is moving. Um, yeah. I, I've heard, uh, so several of my gay friends who are pursuing celibacy say, yeah. uh, you know, I could live without sex, but I can't live without love and intimacy. And until the church mm-hmm. kind of recognizes the difference, they're going to have a hard time being my uh, family of love and intimacy. And, and also I've, you know, I've talked to people that say in, in the same category that, you know, sure. Celibacy is, is not easy. Uh, there's times when it's incredibly difficult. There's times when it's, it's yeah. beautiful and joyful. And, and I'm like, yeah, it sounds like, every other relationship on earth, you know? Um, but, but they said that, that when I have, and I would love for you to either agree or disagree. And, and if, if it doesn't resonate with you, I, I think it might given what you've already said, but you know, they say when I'm experiencing deep, intimate, affectionate, non-erotic, same sex relationships, that deep stuff late into the night, early morning, just that real rich stuff, my sexual struggles or say my desire for sex is really diminished not gone away we're sexual beings it's always going to be there it's always a struggle but like i yeah. I, can, I can say I, yeah if, if i have deep intimate 
relationships with friends, mm. like the real stuff, man, mm. I, I can genuinely say I'm flourishing relationally as, as a human being. W- w- have you had that yeah. same? I, I think there's two sizes. It's both um, a warning I would give and then a uh, encouragement towards. Um, the warning I would give is that, and this is where I would refer to Sarah Coakley, um, the Anglican theologian. Yeah. She talks about this superficial first order of desire for like sex and belonging and, you know, money and, you know, things that we need to survive and be human. And then the divine desire as the second order deeper desire. And she says we have to take our same sex desires or any kind of desire that has been affected by the fall and bring that into divine desire and let it be renewed and transformed. Hmm. And when you do that, there's all sorts of, things in the sanctification process like rejection hurt pain everyone has these things Um, we all live in a fallen world and those things come up as you live a life bringing those more superficial desires into obedience and submission to desire for god and his will being a living sacrifice so my warning is that you can't put all the pressure on your friend okay yeah yeah (laughs) And, and i think a lot of gay celibate Christians put a lot of pressure on friendship and I go, Oh, Oh, it's just something that you can't predict as well. And that's what makes it hard is it's not like a marriage where you're like, we've made a covenant. So what I recommend my encouragement is to find a friend that is sanctified, that is wanting to follow Jesus, that is sold out for the gospel and ship into what a covenant beloved friendship. So I have a friend that I meet with once a year for three days and we will have the best time together and we will talk through our deepest struggles. Mm-hmm. And I go away just completely fed and ready for the next you know, mm-hmm. six months of ministry. And then I have other friends that I have different kinds of friendships with. But this particular friend, I have a kind of special heavenly friendship with. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I would caveat it in the, in the context of discipleship and try to not make it a parallel to yeah. kind of secular romance, yeah. but just make it a natural part of me following Jesus. And then I would say, put the pressure on Jesus. Seek <laughs> like deep encounter with him. Mm. And I think this is where my charismatic side comes in. I believe we can encounter God all the time. I, I don't like this idea that, you know, and God does take his presence away for times of growing and maturing and then come back, but he wants to us to pursue him. He wants to romance our soul. Like mm-hmm. he loves us and he will provide for the needs of intimacy. If I go to share one experience I had of that, just to make it real <laughs> um, and not just an ideal. Um, I, I was in my room and I, uh, one day back in Oxford when I was studying there and I felt really like just not a first priority for my friends who were all kind of happy in their different ways and I just wasn't a priority in anyone's life. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd also been really hurt by a church leader who didn't really understand me and I'd been under a lot of pressure. And um, I was listening to... I hop <laughs> um, in the States, uh, just a song about the uh, song of songs, the love of Jesus and the bride. And as I was listening to that, like 3am at night, God came into my room and you know, like when God comes into your room, like it doesn't happen to me very often in that kind of direct sense, but it's like fear, you know, you're like, Oh my gosh, you know, mm-hmm. and he was there. And then 
And I, he said, don't be afraid. And then he said, David, I'm so sorry that the people I've called to love you haven't. Mm. Wow. And that they failed me in this. I'm sorry. And he said, I love you and I can fulfill your needs and you can trust me and I will continue to fulfill that need. And then I felt him actually come and embrace me mm. and all the pain and all that, what, what I was feeling was taken away. And um, so there's that side where he does that. And that's amazing. And you have this close intimacy and I wouldn't want to give that up. I said to God, I'm happy not to be married if I get to, mm. you know, have the priority in my life for those intimate encounters. Mm -hmm. Um what would, what, would, real quick, what would you say if somebody wants that kind of real, almost tangible relationship with God, but do, doesn't experience it, doesn't have it, they've tried and everything? Because that could be, because people yeah. can hear what you're saying and say, yeah. man, I would love that. I, I have never had that experience. Is it, is it their fault? Is it just God sometimes chooses not to do that? Or uh, yeah. that could be really I, difficult for somebody, you know, to, to hear that and not yeah. have the same experience. Or, well, this is where I think we have to enter into the question of mystery mm -hmm. and there are things that can block intimacy with God. And um, we could do another podcast on that. I love to talk. About that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think, you know, if you don't experience those kinds of things, God will provide in different ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, he knows the desires of my heart and he knows how much I love to just mm -hmm. have that direct intimate yeah. touch from him. But if that's not how, others relate to him that's okay and he'll provide in different ways and i've had friends of mine who have vastly different personalities to me who don't have these kinds of experiences and god shows up for them in all sorts of different ways that fulfill them so i i would never want to make my experience ultimate mm -hmm. you know um but i would just humbly kind of offer it up yeah. uh the other thing is god won't take away your desire for your neighbor <laughs> because he wants you to love your neighbor and he yeah. wants you to be pushed out towards your neighbor. So that's the other struggle is that, you know, there was a time where I was like, I just want you to take this away. Like, mm -hmm. I'll be just happy to be like by myself in a monastery. I'm good. Like you and me, God, no problem. But you know, my people, no, you know. And yeah. so I, I don't know, there's just something about the walk of celibacy that takes you deep into these things. And I'm sure marriage does it in mm. a different way, but um, yeah. So that's um, that's how I've processed it. I hope I hope that's helpful. That's good. Let, let's shift gears a little bit. So right now yeah. you are, uh, I mean, you're a student at St. Andrews looking to go do a PhD at Oxford. You also work with uh, Ravi Zacharias Ministries, yeah. right? Can you uh, yeah. Yeah, tell us about that? And I and, and the question I I'm, I want to end up getting to is you understand the mind of an activist who hated Christianity and anything that that mm -hmm. world represented um, and now you're on the exact other side and yet you're still a gay Christian and I, <laughs> for most of my audience yeah. that are probably straight um, I would love for you to help us understand that but but first of all t tell us about your role and involvement with uh, Ravi Zacharias Ministries. That's a good question yeah well first of all I just love to say that Ravi's a fantastic man of God I mean I've known him behind closed doors and in 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 the team and he just is so passionate about raising up another next generation and he's really been a spiritual father to me. Wow. Um, that's so, so, good. That's so that. good to hear in an age when people have little, and I won't name any names, but goodness yeah. gracious, a lot of uh, not very much trust in high profile Christian leaders. So thank you for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think there's other issues that we talk about another time, yeah. but um, <laughs> I, I think, I think, um, 
I've experienced, you know, uh, a wonderful reception by RCAM. And it's been a place for me of safety and a place to really reflect with the team. And they're all so keen to understand this. They all love gay people. They love the LGBTQI community. They just want to know how to reach them, you know, remove obstacles for them knowing Jesus. Like that's the whole motivation of what we do as a ministry. And so for me, like having gone through what I've gone through, like my greatest joy is to share that love I've discovered and that's been revealed to me. So I just, I I think, yeah, it's been a great place. Um, I suppose, what what would you like to know about that? I mean, so I mean, that's largely like an apologetic kind of ministry, right? So you, so you're in environments where you're in front of crowds and everybody or a lot of people disagree with you and are trying to show you why you're out to lunch and uh, you (laughs) denying your real identity. You've been, uh, if I can say, you know, uh, jaded by this religious narrative that has convinced you you shouldn't live out who you really are and, and all those things I'm sure you've thought through. So, yeah. Um, yeah. What are some, I guess, what are some, uh, let, let me, let me say that, ask this, help straight Christians understand what is going in the mind of the, if I can say hostile, real aggressive yeah. gay yeah. activist that doesn't mm-hmm. really want a dialogue. And you say, no, I, I, I love you. I don't, I, hear my heart i'm not a bigot and they just don't almost want to hear it because i know that could yeah. be frustrating for christians they're like saying i'm okay somebody hit a hit you with the rock i would never do that like i that's insane mm-hmm. don't associate me with that and then the but then it just sometimes it's just so abrasive and nobody's really listening and the straight christian yeah. gets frustrated and the other person gets yeah. even more hostile so help us understand the, the mindset what's going on there well, the first thing I'd say is whenever I meet another LGBTQI person that is thinking about faith, I just listen a lot. Mm. Good. And I'm very slow to say anything. Mm. I mean, obviously that's easier for me because I've probably just given a talk and so they know kind of where I'm at. And, right. um, and they love that I don't shy back from the word gay or from calling myself mm. a celibate gay Christian. They feel like, okay, there's a bridge there. Okay, he might you know, agree with that stuff that I don't agree with, but we can at least dialogue. And so that provides an evangelistic platform um, that's really important. Um, and I'm just, I've found it really hard in and just some contexts that just don't have patience for that. But I think we really need to do deeper thinking on, on that level of how we do mission and how we reach. Cause I'm motivated by that question. Um, I want to meet, I want other people in those pubs that I, I'm, you know, I was in yeah. to meet those, to meet Jesus. So, yeah, I would say that one of the ways, so the first thing is listen. The second thing um, is I always, everything I do is based off um, Jesus's model of ministry. I try to do everything as closely as I can to him. Um, so he, when he was with the Samaritan woman, he offered her what she was actually looking for in that more superficial level of desire. Mm. So she was looking for experience and like romance and something other and transcendent, you know, and he's like, here's the living water. I'm a prophet, but I'm not just a prophet. I'm actually the Messiah. And then tells her everything she you know, ever did. And so he meets her needs. Mm. And I think we're there to meet that need first before we're to talk about anything ethical. Or, and then they have a discussion about the mountain mm-hmm. and where, you know, where you play, pray some 
you know, Syria or Jerusalem, and he says Jerusalem. So he doesn't change the truth. But the way he enters that conversation is to put the other absolutely first and to humbly put yourself second. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be hard, and that doesn't always come naturally. And if you don't do it, like, it's okay. God's grace is going to cover it. And sometimes you could do that, and there's still going to be resistance. There's some oh, people, yeah. like, there's so much deep pain and trauma that you are just a walking trigger by existing as a Christian, right? <laughs> well, I can, I can give an example. So I was on a university campus doing mission here in the UK and there was an interfaith dialogue on gay marriage. You know, straight away the Christians are like, no one go, no one share this. <laughs> you know, just I'd like, David, don't go. And I was like, I'm going. <laughs> like, um, you know, you don't want to trigger something on capital, you know, and the, like the social justice warriors will come after you and the world will end. And, you know, and I'm just like, just chill. It's people. Like, it's okay. Like, um, you know, and, and I think sometimes there's this fear reaction that Christians have and it doesn't help. And then the Christians put their head in the sand because they're so afraid. And then it's like gay people just sense that as a lack of love and then just walk away. Yeah. So I think sometimes you have to take slight risks to break huh. the ice, you know? And so I went and I shared honestly my perspective that, you know, I didn't believe that gay marriage um, ontologically exists in the church and that I'm not interested in talking about the state or politics, but I'm here to represent faith and Christian faith. And here's why. And I gave my, and I said, you know, I'm a celibate gay man and blah, blah, blah. And there was an activist there. And after telling him all of this, he just looked at me and he goes, hmm, I suppose sex does get a little old after a while. And I just said, well, honey, worshiping Jesus doesn't, you know? <laughs> and everyone just cracked up in the room. And like, oh, everyone was relaxed after that. And, and it just bro- broke the ice so people could really talk honestly. And many people in that room became Christians because I just shared honestly what I thought. And I mean, of course, it's easy for me to say that. And I have that subjectivity where I can be a gay celibate man and talk from that perspective. So it makes yeah. it easier for me. And so I get that it's even harder for people that don't have that experience. Mm-hmm. But I think if you can just like pick up some resources, read some stories like Wesley Hill, mine, you know, the work you've done and just really dig into that and just spend that like week or two really thinking about this issue and going through it with Jesus and then being an effective witness um, and pointing to those stories. So yeah, that radical identification with where the person's at and radical differentiation of holiness and I'm different and I'm a Christian and that means something different. And I think those two are under attack yeah. on the conservative and liberal side don't radically identify oh you know on the conservative side and then don't radically differentiate on the liberal <laughs> side you know so yeah. i don't like any side of those i just like yeah. the kingdom <laughs> let, let me, uh, i want to ask a specific question because i you've you've been sorry touching, touching yeah. on it but for some of my audience they 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 may not pick up mm. on it but the, but uh you identify as a gay christian uh you believe in a historically christian view of marriage and sexuality um mm-hmm. why don't you identify as you know uh, a same-sex attracted <laughs> christian like like why the yeah. gay label because this has been as you know um oh, a growing yeah, debate yeah. in the church well, and even it's it's usually yeah. the first question that comes up like okay i get everything you're saying but i'm just not quite there to, to, you know, why do they, why do they, they have to say they're, they're a gay Christian, you know, why not just say you're a Christian or whatever? 
Um, well, this this question changed for me when I listened to Gay Holocaust Survivor, the last living Gay Holocaust Survivor, and um, I was there when he presented his book in France, uh, studying, and um, his biography died a year later. Wow. It's called the the Le Triangle Rose, which is like the pink triangle, wow. um, and his last name is Brazda, and I was the only Christian, to my knowledge, in the room. And I just remember God saying to me, never forget. Mm. Never forget this suffering. Never forget this reality because it's the, it's the scar tissue through which I will shine my glory into the world. Wow. And I don't want to deny the scar tissue. I don't want to deny my fallen brokenness. And I don't want to deny the goodness of my desire for companionship and intimacy I want them to be complexly related in my identity and that I am a now, but not yet person. Like I'm waiting for the final day when there won't be same sex desire and whatever, but now I have to live and have to accept myself and I need a frame in which to understand myself. So the word same sex attracted for me just feels very much like a medicalizing word. And so in my studies, I've looked at how like gay identity developed and the history yeah. of it. And for me, it's, it's kind of a, attached to that, that for me, same sex attracted or even homosexuality really comes from like oh. medical discourse that like try to pathologize gay people mm. and say that they were like, you know, this horrible species <laughs> um, and that they kind of became the scapegoat of a post-war world mm. that needed to take take things out. So I think gay for me feels more positive. It's a celebration that you don't to be gay does not mean you have to agree with gay sex or gay sexual expression. And I've had a lot of rights activists saying to me, you can't call yourself gay. Right. Um, and then I get Christians saying you, you can't, and I'm trying to redefine uh, that category yeah. so that there's space for people like me to actually have a public identity um, and not to make that my ultimate identity, but for that to be honestly part of my story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am happy to kind of include same-sex attracted at the same time. I'm happy to, in certain contexts where people just can't understand right. that. And yeah. that's just going to freak them out. I'll just be like, I'm same-sex attracted. I just, I feel like it's almost for gay people or same-sex attracted people, it's almost annoying <laughs> because it's like, I just want to be known. Like, and I just want to, I just don't want to be like, like analyzed to death or to have to justify myself. And I kind of just feel like, Shh, let's all just be quiet for a second and just listen to each other. Um, yeah. So I really think that a yeah. lot of how fast this conversations happened recently has been yeah. the worst thing that could happen. And it's really grieved my heart mm. and, I've really struggled with it, if I'm honest, Preston. But yeah. I just know Jesus. Jesus yeah. loves gay people. Jesus loves all of us, and that, that just keeps me going. And so I don't know. I hope that helps. And that's super uh, helpful. I mean, yeah, I mean, from yeah. my vantage point, in, in my public published works, I've been very okay with the gay identity. I, I, I have given the one caveat that I think well, you just gave, like you know, language. You need when you're using language, you need to think through not just what you mean by terms, but how how those terms mm-hmm. are going to be received on the other end. So I tell, I, I don't tell, I'm straight, and I feel always nervous giving like, here's yeah. what you should do. I mean, who am I to you know? Um, mm-hmm. But my advice to people or encouragement or you know, hey, think about this. If you're like you said, if you're in a really conservative environment, if if you went and spoke at you know uh, a conservative church here in Boise, 
And he said, hi, you know, my name is David. I'm a gay Christian. I'm going to talk, you know, you're going to lose 80% of the audience, you know? And like, um, even if you explain it, it it may take you a half hour over, or maybe two hours over lunch (laughs) one-on-one for them to get past. Because even when I explain it, I think I'm making perfect sense. And it's just, it's a, for some people, it's a, it's a, it's a really big leap to say, okay, I can, I can see how that. Well, Well, yeah, there's other, um, there's other terms that have been developed like side A, side B, right. side Y, and side X. <laughs> and um, I kind of, I get why that's been developed. I don't really like the term side because I think it might instill conflict in those yeah. different categories. And I talk about that in my book as well. Yeah. I have a whole, a whole chapter on that. But I don't I like do. side A, side B. I mean, I... I uh, yeah. It just seems, this, you know, here's option one, option two. They're both yeah. on equal planes flip a coin, which one you like, just, I don't, there is a historically Christian position and a very Mm. radical challenge to that position, but to say side A, side B is just like, it just puts it on the plane. I think that's, yeah, that's something I've struggled with. I I mean, I feel like it's a little bit like for anyone to just come on the scene and say, Hey, here's some new terms, you know, and just like recreate the wheel. I've just felt like that's a little bit like, like I'd be careful. Like I would love to come up with some other, schema but i think that's what's been developed and and so i kind of just mediate between all of it and i just try to keep asserting what i'm actually am until language forms around what i am um because i i believe that like you know paul identified as a roman citizen when he needed to for the purposes of the gospel and i think that's one aspect of it the other aspect is that you know we just like need this this kind of qualified, I'm going to get academic here, theological anthropology. We need to have a deep anthropology of what it means and be same-sex attracted and a Christian. And so I think this is putting a task on the table in scholarly circles that instead of let's get out of the culture war and let's really think, what is the anthropology of same-sex desire? What is it? Yeah, actually. And I think the problem with it is that it's an entanglement of a very good desire that is right at the heart of what it means to be made in the image of God and a fallen desire that doesn't compute with the kingdom of God. And so you have this kind of very delicate process of untangling the two in the in sanctification as a Christian. That's a brilliant, though. Yeah, that that is academic, but that, that, so if I can, let, let me see if I understand yeah. it correctly because I know my audience probably has a thousand questions right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If they're yeah. watching, they can't ask. I see, I can see you. I can see your hands going. <laughs> How did you see me? Um, are you saying that being gay or same-sex attract, having same-sex desire, that it is in part a product of the fall, but it's also in part a reflection of being created in God's image. Like there's both a good and a bad to the desire. Like it could be, yeah. A good desire just kind of gone wrong. Kind of like when I recognize, you know, I, I tell people, you know, I'm I'm straight, which means I'm attracted to 3.5 plus billion people on the planet. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, yeah. I, I, now, and I can even recognize beauty in somebody of the opposite sex as an outflow of my straightness. Now, um, mm. that's not... <laughs> In a sense, that could go, that that's also a product of the fall because I'm also supposed to be oriented towards just one woman, which I'm not. I mean, that's where I'm mm-hmm. trying to funnel my desires, but that's you know, 
Um, so there is yeah. a kind of good and bad. Like I can, the, the, the line between recognize a beautiful human being yeah. um, can so easily be inter- intertwined with sin. Are, are you saying like a same-sex desire can be that too? Like you recognize the beauty of a man that can be, actually be a beautiful thing and a, 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 an Edenic, <laughs> you know, good mm-hmm. desire, but then it can just easily kind of cross that line a little bit, or it's kind of, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Am I, am I, am I, I'm trying to make sense yeah. of what you're saying. No, that's great. Well, look, I think what we have is like two different things. So we have like a cross-less Christianity, which is kind of just like desire what is in your nature and just like God loves you and it's all fluffy duffy and I can't stand that. It just annoys <laughs> me. I'm like, please come up with a better argument. Like, can't you say that what you're saying actually doesn't work? Anyway, then it's like... This love is love. Like, what does that mean? Like, yeah. please like, caveat that. Sorry. Anyway, it just annoys me. And then, um, you know, the, you have the other side, which is just like, it's the cross and it's self death and we're all going to die. You know, this is very like <laughs> dramatic thing, you know, and you're like, Oh gosh, I don't want to be a Christian. Um, you know, <laughs> um, no, but like, actually there's a deeper way, the third way, um, which is Jesus's way, which is, we were made for intimacy, joy, connection. We were made for companionship. And so um, Sarah Coakley says that like our desires are in via towards the kingdom of God. Mm. So we can never desire anything in and of itself. It must always be going back towards God. And it must always be inflected back towards God. And so we need to die at the cross to all of our desires, I believe. Everything, like money, sex, yeah. family, every desire you have needs to be brought under the lordship of christ and then transformed into the kingdom logic and you see this happening all the time with jesus where he's you know saying if a part of your body causes you to sin cut it off what he means is like give it to god like let it be remade into what it's supposed to be and we unfortunately we're we're in this tension where sometimes we're just going to desire things wrongly Mm -hmm. and we've got to have the community of the body of Christ to embrace us in those moments. Like, I really don't think you can carry your cross alone. Like Jesus couldn't carry his cross alone. He needed Simon of Cyrene, you know, I mean, he needed John there, his beloved friend staring up at him. I'm sure, you know, in that moment of betrayal and death and just that limit of just not having what is good. And seeing, you know, he needed that friend to be there, you know. And so I think there's a deeper answer to all of this in the body of Christ. And I'm not going to say that I've got it all figured out, but I'm trying to. I think just identifying the complexity of it's super helpful. Some people want to say, is it part of the fall or not? And it's like, well, everything's kind of part of the fall and not, you know, like it's. The, the line if, between I, if I could if I could offer just something quickly I yeah. so another theological answer Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about how we can't know nature as creation until we have Jesus hmm. so the problem is everyone's trying to base their view of sexuality and desire off just nature yeah you know well it's not Adam it's it's not Adam and Steve it's Adam and Eve you know look at nature you know that kind of theology which I just think is terrible terrible and then you have the other side which is um it's internally to me what i feel it's who i am and it's like god loves me and i'm fearfully and wonderfully made and i'm fabulous which does you know 
you know, and I'm like, yes, honey, you are, but you're also broken and you're also a sinner like the rest of us and you're not better than any of us. Like, yeah. let's humble ourselves, you know? <laughs> let's, so, so let's, can you expand on that? Because that so is... Just, just, just quickly, oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, and, and I'm speaking to myself because that's what yeah. I was like. I thought I was better than the church. There's this side of pride as well in me, you know, that I did as an activist think I was better and I wasn't. And I had to discover that. So this nature idea. So what we need is Jesus to reveal who we are and what the world is as the word of God. And once that's happened, he, I'm going to use big word, resacramentalizes nature to become what God originally intended it to be, the creation. And that's what we need to do with our desires. And in that will be self-death, the cross. And in that will be a self-resurrection. And God will never resurrect you into the person you're supposed to be in a way that is against what he has revealed in his word. He just won't do it. Wow. You know, and I just feel like everyone's trying to like scramble around this. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. the resurrection reality does not have what I struggle with in it. And it doesn't have what you struggle with in it. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be freed from these identities one day. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I could give you a sermon. I'm well, going to pull back. The number one popular level question, argument, assumption that just pervades this discussion is, you know, uh, we now know, whether through science or experience, whatever, that some people are simply gay. Uh, that's how they are. It's how God created them to be. And it's therefore unloving and ungodly to say, you shouldn't live out the way God created you to be. Um, so how, how would you, I mean, you kind of already answered it a little bit, but how would you s- just succinctly, I'm, I'm sure that's come up in your, your, your debates and dialogues and stuff. Yeah. Well, I say to people a little bit like what was said to me in the public, until you know, Jesus the question of your sexuality is secondary. Like mm. something of that kind of personal significance for me, it has to come from the mouth of God. Like, and again, this is why I'm charismatic and I believe God speaks and I need that like direct c- communication. Because when I read the Bible, I was like, this is not enough for me to, like, I can kind of be a little bit tempted by what I read on those other arguments. I mean, it feels tempting. I'll be like, oh, life would be so much easier, you know? <laughs> um, but that is a temptation that is not good, you know? And so on the other side, I think what I say is that, um, you need to know Jesus first and you need to actually become a real Christian before you can understand the nature of those desires. So again, nature Mm -hmm. can't be revealed as what it's supposed to be. It needs to be recreated, renewed through the word of God, which is Jesus Christ in in the scriptures. And that, that process takes time and love Mm -hmm. and patience. And it took me three and a half years before I was willing to be celibate. I thought celibacy was gross because I'd still like signed up to the natural view that romantic love was everything. And we see that in pagan society, the like biggest cults and the most popular cults were always Aphrodite, Eros, you know, these big gods of love. I mean, that's, I was into the love gods, you know, and I found the love God, you know? So it's like, you got to find that love God and you only find that love God in Jesus Christ. So Dan, and that's got, the way we get there. That's I, the way we get there. There's no other way. I, I got a book I just got. Um, it's uh Oh shoot. It's on theological anthropology. It's uh, a guide to the perplexed or something like that. It's like a basic <laughs> overview of the, anyway, I was going to see if you, I got a pile of books on my ground, right on the ground right here that is <laughs> under somewhere. Yeah, here's my question. Okay. So let's, I guess, uh, 
change the discussion just slightly and say, how do you view, think about, interact with um, affirming Christians? Because a lot of what Mm. we've been talking about is kind of like, here's the Christian way and here's a non-Christian kind of view of these things. But as you know, I mean, this is a um, Mm. growing number of people are, are, I love Jesus. I'm sold out, you know, whatever. It's very hard for me. Yeah. So how, how, yeah, how have you, how have you interacted with people like that or? Um, it's a really good, there's so many things, but I think the first thing I do is I see them as people made in God's image, but people who are equally as broken as me, that, that I'm no better than them because I'm celibate or, you know, I believe what I believe. And I believe that ultimately that to be faithful to Christ um, so I'm very, I try to be very careful in myself when I'm speaking to them to not elevate myself above. Because intellectually, you could probably easily yeah. dismantle it and get a lot of cheers <laughs> and stuff depending on your contact. Yeah. I mean, well, that's the thing that like, you know, ours is so amazing because we just never want to do that to people mm. ever. That's that we're not interested in that. We, we know we're always interested in winning the person and not the ultimately winning the argument. If we had to choose, we would always go with the person. Um, and for me, I have a deep empathy with side A people. I completely understand where they're coming from. I was there. I was in gay relationships. I've been in, you know, um, church wanting gay marriage to be part of the mainstream, wanting my relationship to be recognized. Um, going up to the pastor frustrated that they won't listen to me and that they're afraid of me and, you know, frustrated they won't hear about gay teen suicide and that they won't, you know, all these things. I've I've been there. Mm -hmm. But the difference is Jesus. It all comes back to him and what he wants and his view, like his revealed view to us. And we're always trying to do our best to get around it. Whether we're conservative, liberal, all of those things, every side of every human is trying to get away from what he's trying to say to us. And I just think what I'd say to the side A is Jesus's revealed will is so much better than bad celibacy. Mm. You know, I mean, there is bad celibacy and it's dangerous, you know, and I would just humbly say, you know, I'm not saying that God is calling you to bad celibacy. What's but bad, there's a what kind do you mean by bad celibacy? Well, there's a kind of celibacy. I'm doing this to earn a cultural reward. I'm doing this to belong. I'm doing this so that my evangelical parents will accept me. I'm doing this so that I don't have to deal with all, you know, the biblical arguments and everything. I'm just going to do nice, easy celibacy and run away from intimacy and just kind of, uh, it's all too much, you know? Um, and there's other versions of that. It's not just celibacy. So I think celibacy has to be a Christian asceticism. It has to be, um, giving up something of the first order desire for the second order. Mm -hmm. It has to be, again, that going towards something greater. And so I think for me with side A Christians is I'm just, Again, I try to listen to their story first. Now, the other side of this is that when I'm with a side A Christian teacher, it's different. Mm. I'm in ministry, they're in ministry. Scripture commands me in most instances, I will sometimes take them aside and say, look, you're a teacher and I believe what you're teaching is false. And to actually like 
I have to say this to you, you're a false teacher. Mm. Um, I'm happy to be friends. I'm happy to talk across lines. Like I don't, but I'm just telling you and I'm warning you in the presence of Christ, like what you are teaching is wrong. Mm. Um, and it's endangering the church of Jesus Christ. What's, been, what's the response been like when you do that? Just nothing. Else. I have some, I don't always do that. I've only done that twice. And it's, <laughs> I'm sharing this quite vulnerably with you, but like, yeah. I, I feel like I can't do that and love that person that mm. is a teacher mm. because the, the expectation in scripture for teachers is so much high, higher and they're going to be judged on what they teach. And so it's more because I love them, not because I want to have any cultural superiority or, um, and they may come and say that back to me and say, you're a false teacher. I'm like, you're great. Let's be friends. Um, you know? <laughs> and so um, like th- there's that like very difficult line of, uh, and, and I would only do that with people that I kind of know. And I've done that yeah. with a few of my side friends, not many. Um, yeah. But so yeah, you it's make, a good You make question. a distinction between somebody who's teaching and somebody who's kind of just been, yeah. convinced of whatever but they're they're not like they're not the experts or it's like ah it sounds good whatever they've been kind of convinced by the arguments yeah yeah and and i think um i would want to respectfully dialogue in a christ-like way after that but you know i just want to make sure scripture is in the center of how we do this and scripture has recommendations and you know, I want to imitate Paul as he imitated Christ. I want to imitate John as he imitated Christ. You know, Christ yeah. rebukes people. He didn't just, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, but he always did it in a humbly, humble way. He also accepted people and listened and asked them questions. Mm-hmm. So I just, yeah, when I come into that dialogue, I just try to be like Jesus. I just try to be as best. And sometimes I fail and sometimes people just don't agree. And sometimes I feel hurt and, you know, I, I feel ignored, quite honestly, by a lot of the side A movement. Not all, um, but a lot. And I feel like my voice is marginalized. And I feel like I'm being made into a minority with a minority. And I just, yeah. I f- where's m- my place to just be comfortable with who I am and for my choice to be celebrated? Um, and, you know, yeah, it's it's hard. It's really hard, Preston. And I don't have an answer yet. I'm, I'm working towards getting some kind of answer to how to, you know, be, I think the thing I struggle with it is that Jesus has to be number one for our, for there to be unity. And I'm not trying to say that side A people don't want Jesus to be number one in their lives, but I learned a lesson that changed my view on this is that if you don't fear the Lord, mm-hmm. you can't love him. Wow. Your love's not real. Yeah. And so for me, I came to a point where it's like, I think side A just doesn't have the fear of the Lord. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they do fear God in certain other ways that I don't. But like in this particular issue, mm-hmm. they don't fear the Lord because fearing the Lord means you care about what God thinks first above your experience. And I would say you, that, yeah, I would, I would probably because people are going to hear that and they're going to, what does Preston think about that? Yeah. <laughs> I, I w- I've seen in my, in my experience, you know, a spectrum of that, you know, on the one side, you know, people that are like, look, this is who I am. This is what I believe. There's smart, enough smart people out there that believe the same thing. And there's nothing, you know, nothing they can say it's going to convince me and they can find the arguments to convince them. And, but it's a real stubborn, you know, mm-hmm. prideful, like there's, but then all the way on the other side, I, I have met people that I think would be, ge- as far as I can tell, you know, genuinely convinced that the Bible, 
you know, um, does not prohibit same sex relationships. And I, mm. I think their yeah. arguments are bad and bad evidence and logical leaps and all this stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, and even then I would, I would still say, I don't know, is this, is it your desire driving your belief? Well, it, it kind of is for everybody. Right. But, um, mm-hmm. but the, you know, um, and I won't name any, I won't name any names, but there's some side, a Christians I've talked with there, there does seem to be a, some sense of, you know, humility and like, they, they really, oh, yeah. they really have, just, just like, Lee, the Lord, well, with that. yeah, he's yeah, what I was he thinking seems- of like, like he, I don't know him yeah. well, but every time I talk to him, it's just like, man, I think he is. If you're going to be side a, do it like Justin Lee. <laughs> again, I fully yeah. disagree with, that i think it's like you i think it's false and destructively so i don't think there's some secondary issue but you know i think he genuinely came before god for a couple of years and and prayed and studied and studied and was willing to go where the text leads and uh, and, this, and there's also yeah yeah this go is on, where I fault maybe some of the teachers too it's like well shame on the people yeah. who have you know created these arguments that are not accurate but can be can be compelling if especially if you have a desire to want to believe them and um so anyway yeah yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, look, it's, it's very context specific. And I think that, um, I wouldn't, I would see them as my brother and sister. I would love them. I would be like, I get it. But I would also want to have that challenge side to yeah. how I communicate as well. And the prophetic edge, I, I'm a prophetic kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, I want truth so badly. I've been in deception. I've been not saved. I've been on the other side. And I just don't want people to live there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that that's as simple like as that, but there is like that in scripture everywhere, the prophetic voice, you know. Um, and then you have, you know, people who are priests and they're trying to pastorally care for the church. And it, it's, it's really hard to do that, I think, with this issue. And I think what we have is a pastoral crisis oh, yeah. where church leaders are like, it's just too hard. Like, how can I say to someone, Like it's really, and this is like where Jesus has to, it has to be between the person and Jesus. And um, I'm just grateful that the Lord broke into my life the way he did, because I didn't think there'd be any other way for me to, to get where I'm at. And it's just such a joyful place. I have so much joy, Preston. Like, Mm -hmm. like I I love God and I just like, I love the life I have. I know it sounds crazy, I wouldn't want it any other way. Like I, this is such a deep worship that I've experienced through all of this. And yeah, I just say to people like, there's a deeper way. There's a third way beyond side A, side B, all of this, what you think you believe, what I think I believe. Like, let's just keep going. Let's, let's pursue Jesus. Let's go deeper. Like, let's not be content with just this, you know? And yeah, I, I, I mean, I said things before and they're intense, but like, I have to balance those two things because that's how Jesus was. And yeah. I just don't want to like lose the edge of just like, it's all fine. It's relative truth. Like, you know, everything's just true for you. And, and I just don't think that works in moral reality and and in the kingdom of God. Like, so yeah, but it's an upside down kingdom. Mm -hmm. We love with the truth and, you know, the truth isn't truth without love. Love isn't love without Mm -hmm. truth. So just trying to stay in that narrow path and trying to, um, engage with side A and others. Um, I think one other thing I'd say that I found hard is actually often straight people who think they understand homosexuality or Christian faith and then try to tell me how to live my life. And they often like have a side A view. And I'm just like, look, okay, 
like I, they're often the hardest. Whereas I find side A people um, get it, and they're like, "Yeah, I get why you <laughs> concluded the way you did," and I'm like, yeah. "I get why you concluded the way you did," and that there's just this other side of just yeah acceptance. Um, yeah. And I'm well, I'm a person of acceptance. Just accept, you know. Yeah. yeah but like yeah. I think yeah, when there's like side. A allies come along. It's, that's always hard. Well, it's funny you said that. I mean, I in my experience, and this is somewhat anecdotal, but based on hundreds and hundreds of encounters, personal encounters, and uh, other pastors and environments and stuff, I would say the overwhelming majority of the most hostile people to a traditional view are younger, straight Christians. <laughs> my non-Christian LGBT friends. <laughs> You're a Christian, yeah. of course you believe that, you know, and yeah, I know yeah, you hate yeah. me, you know, and, and, uh, so for instance, I, I have a pastor friend who passes a church in a real, like one of the largest LGBT areas in America. And it's a real, one of those young hipster, vibrant churches, you know, and, um, they, they have a, tra- they have a traditional view the the church holds to a traditional view of marriage, but they, they have an open policy on membership. So they have like non-Christian Right. You know, people leading <laughs> worship, you know, the gay, lesbian doesn't matter, but you know, right. the, but the church still holds a view like the leadership and, okay. and yeah. they're not going to do gay marriages. Um, and he said, he said, uh, you know, Preston on any Sunday, I have probably 10% of my congregation is LGBTQI. I mean, it's, awesome. and I said, well, how does that, you know, uh, when, when you end up, I go, well, I ask him, do, do you end up, you know, telling them what the church believes? He goes, yeah, I mean, I don't want to do the bait and switch, have them sit there for two years and not know. So usually, you know, early on they'll, I'll have a conversation with them. And I said, well, do they just leave your church immediately? You know? And, and he kind of thought, and he said, you know what, Preston, I've, I haven't had a single actual LGBT person leave the church when they find out what the church believes about marriage. They, they may be like, Whoa, okay. Huh. I got to think about that. Others may be, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I can still come. Is that, you're not going to hate me. You're not going to throw anything at me. Well, no, we love you. Like if you need any help, whatever, like, yeah. Um, but then he said this, he said, but you know, I have had several people stomp off in anger and leave and call me a bigot and hate monger and get really angry and leave when they find out every single one has been a straight Christian. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not yeah. a single LGBT person left, but the people that get really angry are straight people saying you're dehumanizing these people. These are my friends. And it's, uh, anyway, I, I, what you said, I mean, when you, and you said you've had a similar experience, right? So, I mean, you... Yeah, I mean, look, I think we're we're coming into a space where there are going to be churches that disagree with, say, what we both agree with, yeah. um, ultimately. And, and, and there are going to be people that go to those churches um, and there's space for people to live that, that way if they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think that, yeah, what you're picking up on is a kind of cultural phenomenon of, of, um, of media manipulation and this kind yeah. of popularizing of this. And I find as a celibate gay Christian, quite frustrated, to be honest, with how the media has dealt with this issue and how it's been politicized. It hasn't done me any favors. Yeah. Yeah. And it just puts like horrible pressure on people and it just makes it so heated. And mm-hmm. I mean, and, and, and there's not this slow pace that this issue really or question yeah. needs. And, yeah. Um, I want relationships with people who disagree with me. I don't want to just, you know, I want people in the church that disagree with the church to be there, to be coming to, I disagreed with my church for three and a half years. And if anyone talked to me about gay marriage or anything like that, it would just kind of set me off. So, you know, I think, sorry, I've got, um, yeah, so it's, 
it's uh, that that's a really important aspect, I think. Um, yeah, of just being able to hold together, to yeah. disagree agreeably, and like say the hard stuff that shows you actually love that person. Yeah. Um, and I find people always come back to me when I've said the hard stuff. And the reason I say the hard stuff is because other people said the hard stuff to me. And if they hadn't have done that, I would never have progressed or grown in my walk with Christ. And so I can't like, you know, yeah, it's just, it's, yeah. it's like Jesus did it so well. We don't always do it perfectly and God's covering us by grace. And I do say like love covers a multitude of sins. Like if at the end of the day, everything fails, just love one another, like, you know, and yeah. And that love is, is in that tension. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I just think the church needs Jesus to be here. Um, but I think the thing is he's not, but he's given us the Holy spirit. And that's another difficult thing. It's like, what do we do with the Holy spirit? <laughs> he's here and he's our counselor and he can help us rule on things like this. He can give us wisdom. He can, but if we're not willing to offer our bodies up as living sacrifices and give everything up, he's just not going to reveal the will of God to us. Right. And I think my, my real message is beyond all this, like what is the ethic? And it's a bit of a distraction. Just give your whole self to God, like give in, surrender, and he will reveal the will of God. And I had to get to that point before I could work all of this out. And actually in rea- real fact, every Christian does. And I think we're held back by our culture from doing that. And so I'm excited to see a revival of holy living, um, of that kind of living that's just laying down everything. I haven't done that yet. I'm like still working on it as well, but like my heart is that, you know, I've been, you know, my, my inner motivation is to want to love God back. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. This, that's yeah. A, David, that's a great word to end on. I can't believe how much time we, this is. Oh my gosh. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I could keep going. Uh, but I've got other things to get to and I know you I'm do sorry. too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, this is. So, and, um, yeah, it's been I have so many more questions, but we're we're gonna have to, <laughs> we're gonna have to do this again. Uh, a quick reminder: uh, yes. the book is War of Loves, right? A, a War of Loves. Okay. A, a gay activist. Disco- uh, sorry, the the uh, the unexpected story of a gay activist discovering uh, Jesus. So, so it's largely yeah. your story, and, and largely my story, and a lot of the reflections I've been giving yeah. will be in the book um, that so, I've just yeah. been talking through with you. So I can't wait to like get, yeah. dig into more conversation with you, Preston. It's been yeah. awesome. I'm so excited for that October. It's put out by Zondervan, so I'm sure it'll be up on Amazon probably this summer. You can pre-order it, or is it up? It's yes. probably not up yet, right? It's not up yet, but it will be soon and um, hopefully have the details through. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Right. So if you've enjoyed this conversation, you want to check out that book. Uh, if you want to support this show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw. Uh, make a donation if you have been encouraged by this and other conversations. Otherwise, we'll see you next time on the show. Thanks, David. Thanks, Preston. Take care. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Theology in the Raw podcast. If you'd like to submit a question, you can email me at chris at pressandsprinkle.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at 
PrestonSprinkle.com. If you're a patron supporter and you'd like to submit a question, you can do so through my Patreon page. You can submit a question there and I'll address it on the monthly Patreon-only podcast. If you've benefited from the show and you'd like to become a Patreon supporter uh, for as little as five bucks a month, then again, you can go to my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw. And lastly, if you'd like to check out our Grace Truth learning experience, then you can go to the website centerforfaith.com, click on the resource link, and the Grace Truth experience is a great way to address uh, the topic of faith, sexuality, and gender. It's great for small groups in particular, but even as an individual, it'd be a great resource for you to go through. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting, and we'll see you next time on Theology in the Raw.